We all know that parenting is hard. So how do parents with disabilities do it? With creativity, and because we know of the value of interdependence. Come here about ways experts say we can best empower these families, and let's all learn about how parenting can be done differently. I'm your host, Marjorie Onos, and today my guest is Maria Hodes. Maria is a psychologist from the Netherlands. She did her PhD research in the field of parents with intellectual disabilities as a way to demonstrate how effective support can impact positively the lives of these families. She has extensive knowledge and expertise as a clinical professional. Her research is solid due to the method she used and gives us tools that we can use concretely. Enjoy. And don't forget, for more information about where to find the full recording and additional resources, check out the show notes. I am very excited today to be talking to Maria. A little fun fact about Maria and I is that we have a, an interesting connection through her son, actually. This is really fun for me because um, as I was going to try an exoskeleton to, um, to be able to, to walk and sort of try that, Maria's son was actually designing one in the Netherlands and working on, a, on an exoskeleton. So we were back and forth um, sharing our experiences and um, it was uh, quite, uh, quite an interesting sort of little thing that we had just the two of us. So Maria is a clinician, but she's also a researcher and has been working in the field of parents and parenting with an intellectual disability for a long time now. And I'm really happy that you're here with us uh, today, Maria. Thank, Thank you. So the way that I start at the beginning is really to try to understand how you got into the field in the first place. So I will let it, you explain your journey in, in this field. Thank you. I'm uh, very honored to be here in this, this podcast. And... I really want to share my experience because parents with intellectual disability, they are such a great group of parents. I still remember one of the families because we have a lot of uh, fa migrant families in, uh, in Rotterdam. And we had a mother, uh, uh, she had, uh, was from a Turkish family. And uh, the problem was that this mother didn't take care of her child in a good way. And what the uh, support workers and child welfare did is they took away uh, the child. And at that moment, the family uh, came to our uh, service organization and asked, why are the child welfare doing this? Why are you not coming and talk with us? And then I went to the family and I think there were around 15 or 20 family members there. The grandmother, she was in fact also uh, in the middle of our meeting and she explained to me how important it was that family could support. And for me, it was so important to see what families can do for 
parents with intellectual disabilities. So we talked with the family. We could make very good appointments. We could uh, convince the child protection services that uh, the child should go back to the mother and that to, together with the family, we're going to take care. And at that time, I was around 23, 24 and I, I felt so much that I could support for these families and for parents with ID, because it takes a really village to raise a child. Also for uh, uh, people without intellectual disabilities, it's, it's a hell of a job to do it with a lot of fun and with uh, beautiful moments, but also with moments of stress. And then you need good advice and support from others. Yeah, so that's the way it started. And, um, we had, I was also very much in the early intervention field. And what's very strange was that we had uh, family support programs and parenting support programs, but uh, parents had access to these programs when the problems with the child was already very, very high. And I was convinced that uh, we could support this family far much earlier with early intervention. So that at the moment, you know that there is something, just go to the family and try out together with all the family members what you can uh, do for this child. And inside that group, there were a lot of parents with intellectual disabilities as well. And there was no, the way of thinking at that moment was when parents with intellectual disabilities will have problems with the child is because of their intellectual disabilities and not because uh, something uh, else is wrong, maybe something in the child uh, or something because they're, you're living in vulnerable circumstances. So that was, that came all together. And for me, it was so clear that my future will be just supporting these families and supporting these parents. I love that. Um, everybody that I talk to, we all have sort of that one story. Um, and that's what I, I love about starting, you know, the, the, the interview with, with that question because we all have sort of, you know, those little stories when we met the first mom or the first parents and how that impacted us and made us choose. Do you want to tell us a little bit about sort of your role and what you do on a day-to-day? -day? Because you support parents with intellectual disabilities. So it would be interesting to, to know what exactly you, you do and what's your role. Yes, I, I have a lot of different roles um, because I'm a clinical psychologist, but I'm also head of the Department of Clinical Psychologists, and we have a family service organization, and we support the families inside their own homes. And there are support workers coming inside at homes, and uh, the way they support them, they are supervised by the psychologists, and I am the head of all these psychologists. I have a lot of talks with the psychologists how we should help uh, these families uh, about their program, how we, uh, what they need uh, uh, in all kinds of things. And that can be just for the family support at home, but it can be also in a clinical way. When we have uh, parents with personal problems, we have also the possibility to do some treatment for that. What I do is uh, talk. I do research, uh, clinical research, when we have very complex families. I do that together. Um, sometimes I go, uh, uh, we invite families to come to my uh, office, but most of the time we just go to the families uh, themselves and we try to do the investigation there. Um, we have a lot of talks with child protection services and 
I think this this is one this is a very red line inside my work, because I see that very often uh, parents are misunderstood when stress stress uh, when the stress level is rising, and um, most of the time, of course, safety first. I'm, I'm uh, uh, I know that we need to be clear about safety for children, but there are a lot of ways how we can support parents and families when stress or when problems are happening inside your family. And that's what we do a lot. We try to be next to the parents, next to the family, and try to solve it and try to interpret uh, what the Child Protection Service wants them to show, how it can be safe inside a room, and how we can support them uh, uh, for showing that they are parenting good enough and that's that's we are all the time interpreting and the most important thing is that we try to listen to these parents and that there is respect for these parents and that we are also clear what's safe or not safe and i think the most important thing is building up that relationship with uh, with parents family members and also with their children so that's the reason why we often go to the families where we often go to uh, uh, having discussions and meetings with child protection services, but also with the schools. In fact, when I start my day, I start my day quite early. We have nowadays in Corona time uh, more uh, uh, Teams meetings, but I'm very often uh, on the route to a meeting, to a family, to my uh, department where we do some research. And I give also a lot of training, so I'm also teaching a, a lot. And I have the most beautiful uh, job in the world. I'm very, uh, I'm very happy with it. <laughs> That's awesome. You were talking about stress and support, and I'll just like switch to to that because your your PhD sort of touch upon those two factors. So, do you want to talk to us about the two articles that you chose? that are in relation to your PhD and, and talk about stress and support. Yeah, what, what, what we know already about parenting with ID is uh, parenting is always a stressful job. And when you look at parenting with ID, you have uh, more stress than, than uh, the average parents, also because of all kinds of uh, choices you are not able to make uh, about the way you are having access to all kinds of information. And the most important thing, the judgment about being a parent with ID, because there is still the idea that parenting with ID is not possible because you have an idea, you are not a good enough parenting. And there are still uh, really a lot of people who think that parenting with ID is uh, similar to problems with safety. That, that's uh, normally it's it's connected very easily. So what I would like to do with my PhD, uh, first of all, maybe it's 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 important to tell. I didn't want to do my PhD because I'm working as a clinician and I need to work practical in the field. But the only thing we can do, and I was convinced on it, uh, to give our parents a voice and to get them. Uh, grow and become stronger is to do proper research that prove what 
the facts are and the way we can support the parents. And that was really my motivation to do my PhD. I did my PhD on a very late stage. I was uh, 57 when I got my PhD, so it's a late career. But um, we, uh, we, we try to combinate that uh, to giving them a voice and I was convinced that we need to should uh, start early. And early is with uh, looking at the way uh, the parent and the child are building up the relationship. It's about attachment, about sensitivity, about responsivity. And uh, there was always an idea that, of course, parents can uh, learn a lot of tasks and a lot of skills, but the way how they need to uh, uh, take the perspective of the child and how they can be responsive and sensitive, uh, there was the common idea that's not possible for parents with ID. And for me, I was not convinced about that at all because of my clinical experience, but I had to prove that with research. So my idea was to uh, develop uh, intervention, video feedback intervention that was already proven to be helpful for parents, for average parents. And I want to change that program, that intervention, and uh, make it tailored for our group of parents and to prove that also these parents can be uh, helped uh, by these kind of interventions. And this intervention, uh, also uh, you make small video uh, tapes at home and then you, um, with a step-by-step -step analyze together with the parents, you analyze what you see happening with the child. So then you can take the perspective for the child. And um, what I was sure of, stress is happening when you are losing your overview, when you don't know what the information is telling you, when someone else is putting pressure on you and you can't see properly what happened. So what... For me, it was very much clear. We have a lot of interventions for parents. And then, then we say to them, if you do a little bit more of that, then your child will behave. Or if you do a little bit less of that, then you will see it has a proper effect. But for our parents, and even I think also for a lot of other parents, our parents, they really don't know where to look at. What are the signals of my child? How can I interpret it? So our very first step is just support and help our parents to look at the child, to observe the child, to be inside the head of your child and help them to discover uh, the intentions of the child. And what's the child feeling, hearing, seeing, uh, uh, meaning? Why is she walking? All that kind of things. That's the very first step before we give an advice. And I knew already from my clinical work that if you understand better, then your stress will lower down. And for me, stress and parenting, when there are stress factors, it's very difficult to parent good enough. So that was the reason I really want to do that. So we we tailored this video feedback intervention that was already uh, evidence-based for the average population of parents. And I was very happy because that uh, intervention was developed here in Leiden, uh, where I live, and uh, uh, we were allowed to tailor it for our group. And we 
uh, in a randomized, uh, randomized controlled trial, we test this intervention for our group of parents. And it was amazing to do that. Also the process to work together with the parents, uh, randomized controlled trial is always a hell of a job. It takes you years to get your group and really to be a, a, a randomized controlled trial. So we had a group, we offered them the, we did some, some uh, questionnaires and when there was a kind of stress level for parents, then we, offered them the intervention, but we had two groups. We randomized the group by just finding out first to start with the intervention, or we had a waiting group list and we start with it later so that we could just could uh, compare the group. And what's very nice that all the parents who were on the waiting list, we offered later on the intervention and every family choose to get our intervention later on. So that was really, really very great. And when we look at the results of this intervention, well, first I was a little bit disappointed because I, I thought we had uh, um, that the stress level would be very much down and lowered. And that we also, that the way we did the intervention would be uh, help parents to improve the skills. What we find out is that on a parenting stress level, that stress related to child problems, that really lowered. So we were very happy about that. What we also saw is that the, uh, the intervention we did, so to become more sensitive for uh, the way we, uh, uh, you explain things of your child, uh, they didn't decrease so much. But when we did, when we look better at the group of parents, then we saw that a subgroup really profits of it. And that was the subgroup of parents with an IQ uh, uh, between 50 and 85, because that was the group we were working with, and with uh, low social adaption uh, uh, skills. And that was really amazing for us because. Um, what we know before already that uh, parents can improve parenting skills no matter the level of IQ. So we proved that. I was happy about that. But the second thing what happened is that the group of parents with low social adaptive skills, no matter the IQ be between 50 or 85, they profit uh, the most from the intervention. And that's the group of parents inside the Netherlands, but I think also uh, internationally, who are always uh, the one when uh, they are in a court case, uh, the church is saying, well, no, we are not going to offering anymore because they are such a low level. So they, they have no access uh, to, this, uh, to these interventions. And my research proved that this group profit most so that was really, really amazing to, to discover. And for me, then I was very happy that, that I did this research because that will, will bring these families in another position. I, can, I could hear it in your voice how, one, it's, it's a huge job that you took in doing that research and randomized uh, controlled trials are, like you mentioned, very difficult to do. But um, I think the, the results sort of paid off in terms of 
really illustrating what you saw in practice. Mm -hmm. And um, that's very strong. And that's, you know, something that uh, we could always use. You also, or we also collaborated together um, and wrote um, a chapter on the choice of uh, becoming a parent when you have an intellectual disability. Do you want to talk about that chapter? Yes, it was, it was really, uh, I was so happy to do that together with such beautiful, enthusiastic colleagues. You are one of them. I was so proud of you also, the way we, we collaborated on that. And I think the most important statement, we, we all know that, that for parents with intellectual disability and becoming a parent with intellectual disability, although we know it's a fundamental right because of the Convention of the United Nations, still uh, uh, people with intellectual disabilities has no free choice at all because there are so many barriers about how to access to proper information. Uh, They are more living in vulnerable circumstances. There's a lot of stigma around being a parent with intellectual disabilities. So for me, it was so important to write a chapter in an international handbook that in an early stage, students can also read about the position of parents with, uh, or future parents with intellectual disabilities. And I think we did a very great job. I advise everyone to read a chapter it's it's um you know a chapter that we we collaborated on with so many people and a lot of these people are actually you know on the podcast so i'm talking about Gwyneth Llewellyn Margaret Spencer Beth Tarleton so it was incredible to be working together on this chapter there's another article that you're suggesting and this one is in Deutsch right yeah um, do you want to talk about this one and why why you wanted to share it with us Well, I think that uh, when you're doing research and when you're working with parents with intellectual disabilities, you also have a political task. And if you want to improve rights for parents with intellectual disabilities, then it's important to bring up all the results of your research in the right places. So in the past, I did some uh, guest lectures for uh, judges, for child judges. And we are talking a lot that time about how they get the proper information to make good decisions for parents. And especially when parents need to go to court about the safety of their child. So then I was invited to write an article to to summarize my research, my PhD research, inside an article connected to the uh, UN Convention and to give advices from my research in combination with the UN Convention to judges. And that was really amazing. It's in a Dutch paper. It's a law paper. And what I did, I tried to reach all the judges with all the decisions they need to make based on information they get delivered from psychologists and most of the child of child protection services. So uh, what I'm proud of that article is that uh, the judges were reading it quite well. 
they understand that when child protection services saying, well, it's not safe enough, that uh, um, first you need to do is what are the facts about not safe enough? What are the circumstances uh, families are living in? And uh, not safe enough has that to do with parenting skills. And when it has to do with parenting skills, uh, how did you support these families and help them to get access to proper support. So what this article did is give judges more tools and more questions to uh, go back to child protection services and, and just ask them, how did you do that? And if they can give a right answer, because we have unsafety uh, situations for children, then it's okay. But it can, they can also send the child protection services back with doing their homework, just do first do your homework. And for me, it's so important to give parents with intellectual disabilities the equal chance, like other parents without intellectual disabilities, when they are in court, just to, to explain why they are in that situation and how much support they, they got. And uh, beside of, of this article, now and then I advocate for, for uh, families, uh, especially when they are only in court because their parenting skills are questionized because they have an uh, intellectual disability. And why I'm so proud about this article is uh, now and then I'm looking at uh, all court cases and law, and now and then I see that uh, judges use this article for the explanation uh, for when they are sending child protection services back and, uh, and let do their homework. So they really refer to that article. They're really using it. And that's, that's, that's really, that's very, very nice. I think it's important that researchers understand that when you have results of your research, just uh, that it will be accessible at uh, all the fields where it's needed to improve position of, uh, of parents. And I think in, in what you're showing um, with your work is that it really, it's about educating and um, it's about, you know, informing people that the context has a, um, a great impact on some circumstances that parents with intellectual disabilities are in. Um, and that it's not linked to intellectual disability. So it's something that could be changed, modified, worked on. Um, and that the, the desire of these parents to stay as a family is definitely sort of there and their desire to, to work and to make sure to provide for their children in the best way is also there. And I think that that's what we're talking about, you know, when we, we share that message. There is also something that was pretty amazing because um, I have to say that it's one of the few things that are available in the world, you know, specifically for parents with intellectual disabilities, and that is a toolkit. And I would like you to introduce us to the toolkit and what it is and to tell us also if it's available for anyone to use. Well, we, um, together with my colleagues, we, we developed a toolkit talking about uh, children. And that's because we discovered that people with intellectual disabilities, when they are thinking about forming 
a family, support workers really don't know how to talk about this subject. And it's so strange that when you take a very important decision in your life, we have families, we have close friends, we have a lot of people we can talk about. And support workers are very often close to these, these uh, to people with intellectual disabilities. But when I talk to youngers with intellectual disabilities and we're talking about, do you want to be a mom or, or a dad? Uh, and they say, yes, I really want it. To whom are, are you talking about it? No, when I talk to my support worker, they are telling me that it's not a good idea to do that. And I'm, I'm afraid that we will quarrel about it and they will say, well, don't do it. And it's even so, I'm living here now in, 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 a, in a group home. Uh, when I become pregnant, they sent me away. So all that kind of things are, are happening. So we are thinking about, it's so important that uh, we support youngsters and future mom and dads about talking about being a mom or dad and that that's not a light decision but that's a decision you need to uh, just discuss with every close people to you but also to become aware what uh, the consequences are when you become a mom or dad and for instance everything is changing your uh, uh, the way you can spend your money, your housing, the things you can do for leisure, uh, maybe your working uh, circumstances. So what we did is we create a whole kind of tools. Uh, one of these tools is just finding out what is changing in your life. Everything is changing. And then uh, we have questions and also assignments for, for people. Uh, and they first discuss it and find out with our children. And then for the same situation, we are going to figure it out when there is a child. So that's a very important tool. Another tool was based on the support interview guide of Quenet uh, Llewellyn and, and Dave McConnell is which people are around you in your social network that can support you and not only support for companionship, but also support for uh, when, uh, when there is a child who's going to support you in real. So that's, that's also a very uh, nice tool to do. And with this tool, we invite, of course, the future uh, uh, mom and dad, but also all the friends and parents or family me members, they are, uh, who are maybe going to support or not so that we can have to talk together. It's really a very nice, nice tool. We have also tools for support workers, but also for managements in organizations, because I believe that the mindset of uh, the support workers, psychologists or someone else is so important. Uh, first, you need to know how you feel yourself while, when you talking about parenthood by parents with intellectual disabilities. And if you are doing your practical work to support, but inside your head is all the time the idea, okay, I'm supporting them, but I'm doing that maybe for the future child because, well, I don't believe that this person with intellectual disability can become a good parent. Then it's all the time inside your head. And we know for sure that that influence the way you are supporting, the way you are working, the way you are talking, the way you can build up a relationship 
with his parents. So we think that the mindset is also part of this toolkit is very much important and should be discussed before. In the past, we feel ashamed about talking about sexuality for uh, people with intellectual uh, disability. And we don't know how to talk about, and we feel in fact now the same parallel with talking about parenthood uh, for people with intellectual disabilities. So what we'll, we'll do with this toolkit, everyone can download it for free because we first designed it and we had a, a very nice physical one, bright colors, but we had about 350 and within a few months, uh, it was sold out. And then it was very nice. We get a national award for this uh, uh, for this toolkit, and we decided to build a website with free downloadable uh, tools for everyone who wants to work with it. And we always ask, please let us know because uh, we want still want to improve and to add new tools. But everyone can download it. And for instance, in Sweden, with two of our colleagues there, they do research on this toolkit as well. And I think it's a wonderful toolkit to use everywhere. And I think uh, uh, very often we learn that uh, people without intellectual disabilities said, well, I wish that I had this toolkit before I chose for children myself as well. So definitely a great resource. And of course, you know, I'll have all of that information in the show notes uh, for everybody to be able to get that. We'll go into the sort of third uh, part of the, the interview, and that's really about sort of the future. So where do you think the future should look like, or you know, in clinical practice and in research, what should we do to improve the lives of families that are headed by parents with intellectual disabilities? I think that there are several things. One of the things I, I learned a lot, we are also busy with a very nice article based on the keynote we did for the IESIT conference. And one of our moms, she's telling her about stress. And Rochelina, she's one of our moms. I, I work a lot with her. I, I have a lot of respect for her. And I learned an extra lesson when I interviewed her. And that's about how support workers are causing stress. And she explained that, of course, we need support, and I know I need support, but when you're first, when I'm stressed, and you're coming here, and you are just accusing me from everything I didn't do, and I really don't know what to do, but then I explode, and then I'm stressed, and my stress is here, and then I explode, and everyone is amazed I explode. And then you sit down and you said, how can I help you? Can you, is it not possible to support me in a proper way to help me before the explosion so that you are not causing stress, but that you are helping me first and then stress is not necessary. I think that's one of the most important thing uh, uh, that we are looking at what is causing stress and that we are supporting uh, the parents and listen to them what cause stress. We have a lot of parents who are talking about um, that they have a lot of debts and just they are 
quite poor and these debts give them so much stress. They are not able to listen anymore what they need to do uh, in the parenting part at that moment. So we have another duty at that moment. We should help them just to reduce the stress to help them with the debts. So I think that very often the focus is on the parenting skills of the parents. And I think the focus need to become more about all these items that are around parents. It's much more important. And then we can make connections. We can build up relationships. We can listen before the stress. And we can first listen with respect, without judgment. That's the other part. Our parents very often feel a lot of judgments and they are unable to protect themselves to that judgment because they have the intellectual disability. And if the outside world is all the time saying you're doing this because you have an intellectual disability, then they never can be there as a proper mom, proper dad. I think that's the very first thing to have to respect, to listen, to have to respect, to see all the items around all the subjects we also need to do together, help them through, build up the relationship. And it really takes a village to, to, to raise child for yes. everybody. Yes. And I think that's the most important thing we, we should do. It's funny because um, in the service where I worked, uh, we also had the realization how we need to take into consideration and work on the context and everything that's happening in their lives, often first before even working on the parenting skills. And because we, we had realized that, that's why we worked, you know, as a team. And in the team, there was a psychologist who was me, but also a social worker. And the role of the social worker was very pivotal and crucial because she was there to really look at issues with, with poverty, with, you know, uh, having enough money to buy diapers or milk, or just looking in terms of like uh, intimate partner violence. And so looking at all those, you know, extra factors that are in the social network and environment of these parents to be able to really sort of reduce that stress to then liberates space for them to be able to learn um, the skills that they would need and if they needed the parenting skills. Because sometimes yeah. the parenting is, is doing, you know, they're doing quite okay in that uh, sphere. Yeah. But yeah. it's everything yeah. else that's, uh, that's um, having an issue, like finding a housing, for example. Yeah. And the other thing, what's important that we are going to the narratives of these moms and dads and families. I think narratives are so powerful. And um, when you listen to the narratives of uh, uh, parents, then you can also learn about their needs, but also about their strengths. And what I see that uh, when we put our parents in a position, they can be proud of, that they are heard and seen, and that as a person and as a parent, they are important. And uh, like Rachelina, the mom we're working with, she, is, she was very uh, happy that she could contribute to 
other parents. And uh, now and then she's helping us in our organization when we go to a family and a mother is hesitating to accept support. And when Rosaline is there, she can easily convince the mother why it's important to accept it. I'm not able to do that, but Rosaline is heard and seen as a specialist, as, as a parent, as a specialist. She's the only one we can do that. And I think it's so important that we are putting parents in an other place that they are worthwhile, that they are seen, that they are heard, and that they are, they have a, a special experience we don't have. Yes. Yes. Uh, listening to people's story, I think, is very powerful. We will end on one uh, question. If there was one thing that you could tell child welfare services, what would it be? Sit down, listen to this parent, and first listen before judge. This parent has to tell you a very important message and story, and these parents are doing that by the heart. And all parents want to do the best for the child. So first sit down, listen, and after that, just discuss with the parent. We have one important thing, we, uh, because there's a lot of stress on child protection uh, workers, and I can understand because it's also a very difficult job. Please take your time for it, even if there is no time. And an out-of-hope placement of a child is very often not the solution. Just try to find your ways in cooperating with uh, support workers, with agencies who are really want to support families at home. Yeah. At the moment, there's, there's a call in the Netherlands, political-wise, that there are too much out-of-home placements. So they really want to, to, to reduce it. And I hope I can contribute to that. I think it brings a lot of different sort of issues. And I think the rate of out-of-home placement is high in, in all of our countries. And it's definitely something that we need to look at in terms of how do we empower families before we decide that children needs to be removed. And I think that's, that's what we're all trying to do, really, uh, is to empower families. And I think empowering families is also not, um, we have a lot of migrant families and we have one family and her mother is uh, in Curaçao and she's very much important. So we'll make a connection with this mother. We can do that by video, by, by teams. And uh, the last summer, it was important that her mother should come over. So we could do some crowdfunding for the ticket for the mother and the mother came to, to the Netherlands And it was really, it was amazing how this mother of ideals, she, she, she grows so much. And uh, it was really a pleasure for everyone. And before this grandmother came, the child protection service wanted to take out of the child. And after the grandmother paid her visit, it was not in charge anymore. So I was so very happy. So we, I think we also need to, to think more out of the box. And we just need to dare thinking out of the box. I will end on that note, I think, because that's a pretty powerful note to end by saying we need to sometimes think outside the box to make the best decisions. So thank you so much for, for your time and congratulations for all the good works that you're doing. It was my pleasure. <laughs>
Thank you so much. This podcast was supported in part by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Human Services, Children and Family Services Division.